Greetings, adventures, and welcome to GNGG Cast. Welcome, everyone, to Good Night and Good Game, your geek news roundup for the week that was. I'm your host, James, and with me this week, as always, is my co-host, Hector. Hello. And this week on the show, after the news, uh, we're going to discuss some games that might have a lot of flaws in them, but we really still enjoy. Mm-hmm. So it should be a pretty fun list. I might make people a little angry with a couple of my picks, but you hey. know, there we are. Some of my picks are my favorite games. There you go. And with all the introductions out of the way, it is time for the Prelude. Prelude. Hey everyone, it's time for the prelude. It's time to dive into what we've been up to this week, what we've been playing, what we've been watching, what's been occupying our free time, and what has been making us happy. Hector, what do you got for me this week? Let's see. Well, a lot has been making me happy this week. And one thing made me go, um, huh. Okay. Yeah. So I finally went ahead and saw Jurassic Park Dominion. And how was that? I I just kind of went, huh. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, to be completely fair... The movie was not the absolute unmitigated shit show a lot of people Made said it, it was. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is the same energy that people went after Thor Love and Thunder with. I feel like there's a, a, probably too much of my YouTube um, followship is too old. And not old as in like the people are old. Old as in like the channel is old and may have started in a place that I am no longer at. I can because see that. it seems like it's either fun to really, really love something or fun to really, really hate something. And no one has any nuance in their takes except for right, right. all of my favorites it's, these it's days. E- it's easier to have a non-nuanced take and, and yeah. project that, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. some people are being completely honest when they say that, hey, you know what? This movie wasn't terrible, but also it wasn't good. And that's yeah. exactly how I felt about Dominion. Okay. Was it the weakest of all the movies? Uh, pretty close. Yeah. But was there fun and spectacle? And was it very much aided by the fact that like the original trio were back you know Mm -hmm. uh sattler grant and malcolm were just like running around doing their stuff that was great yeah it was cool it was interesting some of it was really hokey and everything that i hear about it makes me go this sounds just like jurassic park 3 all over again it's pretty much jurassic park 4 and 5 all over again with a little bit of 1 2 and 3 sprinkled in for fun yeah um uh, but yeah, it really did seem like a send off because they went full like, uh, I, won't, I won't spoil the plot of the movie if you want to see it. It's relatively new. But yeah, it's um, okay. th- there's not a lot about dinosaurs. It's a movie. What else you got? <laughs> yeah, it's a movie. Um, on the on the uh, other uh, front, I started finally watching Solar Opposites. I had already right. seen the first season. Right. It's very, very good. This is a animated series on Hulu brought to you by the Rick and Morty creators. Correct. Uh, not both of them. Justin Roiland and a um, different creator okay. have brought you this one. And just like Rick and Morty, Justin does most of the voices yep. and a good bit of the writing. You can feel his style on it. And this is him not being constrained by high concepts Mm -hmm. Um, in the Dan Harmon sort of way. Like, no matter what they do, they always want it to be interesting in, like, a really nerdy way, not, like, in, like, a Star Wars pew-pew way. Right. This show takes Star Wars pew-pew and mixes it with, like, dick and fart jokes, and that's the (laughs) show. And so it's great in a different way, and it has this really amazing side plot about a group of people who one of the alien children has shrunk down to tiny size and is basically put in a giant ant farm. Mm -hmm. There are thousands of them. They have wars and rivalries and shifts in like oligarchy and different ways of living. And they basically live off of the scraps that are dropped into the ant farm Mm -hmm. by by this alien kid. They have a whole society with their own problems and you get very invested in their drama. Wow. It is very interesting. So anyway, 
third season started and I was like, oh, I need to get on this. And then I realized after going to Hulu that I'd never seen the second season. Oh, okay. So I am balls deep in that and it is fantastic. Nice. It's only eight episodes long, 20 minutes episodes. It's an easy show to binge awesome. and I love it. you will never stop laughing. Yeah. All right. So I have um, three games to cover, but it's going to be quick. First one I talked a little bit about last week that I finally finished. It's Tunic. Okay. Tunic was the Zelda-like starring a little fox yep. uh, in a Souls-like world, basically trying to uncover a mystery. The whole conceit of the game is that as you walk around the game, you pick up pages of the NES-style booklet that serves as a manual for the game. Mm -hmm. Um, a piece at a time, and each one will reveal something to you about the game that you've always had access to and just didn't notice before. Okay. So you basically start the game with like a stick and move on from there and realize mm -hmm. that the, the power of the world was at your fingertips and you just didn't, did, you had no right, idea. Right. And the, the thing about the game teaching you as it goes along, as I finished it, I didn't get the best ending. I didn't 100% it. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that there was a GDQ run of it. Mm -hmm. So I went to go watch that and it was titled True Ending, but it's not even the, the, the slowest one. Mm -hmm. So it was like, oh, this should be interesting. Watching that run taught me things about the game I never knew. And remember, I finished it. Right. Yeah. So so it, it absolutely intriguing. Can't recommend it enough. A beautiful game. Um, absolutely wonderful. This week, I also beat a game called Elderborn. This is a very short, almost boomer shooter style game, but mm -hmm. it's modern. It's made in Unity. Okay. And... Um, it's just boomer shooter style, but more of a Hexen vibe because all of your weapons are melee weapons. Okay. Uh, usually the melee combat in first-person shooters is bad. This was not. Mm -hmm. um, and with its old style of graphics, it could easily be run like crazy. You could tell that this game was made by enthusiasts for the art style and for the game genre. Because when you open the game, you have three things. You have play game, options, and quit. And, but... Down here in the corner is a literal, almost like Winamp-like extension mm -hmm. that just plays the game soundtrack and lets you shuffle through it. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it is great. And the game soundtrack is a fucking banger, too. So oh, it, it's well-deserved. Can't recommend this game enough. I beat it in eight hours. Can't wait for my second playthrough. Mm -hmm. um, weekend game. Easy to play. Lots of fun. Well, the last thing I want to talk about is I, I almost wish Brooklyn was in. I really do wish Brooklyn was in mm -hmm. chat right now. I played a game called WB Multiverses. Okay. If for anyone unfamiliar, this is a game that is not quite out yet. The open beta, I believe, starts next week. But this is a game where WB takes all of the properties they own and does a Super Smash Brothers with them. So, for instance, you can have Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman and Harley Quinn fight the characters from Steven Universe mm -hmm. or the characters from... Uh, 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 um, Scooby-Doo's in there. Scooby-Doo's in there. Um, Adventure Time is in there. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the Warner Brothers, uh, uh, not, not Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, but like uh, Bugs Bunny and the Tasmanian Devil are in there. Mm -hmm. And this is only so far. They have the Iron Giant, y'all. That's crazy. Like, there, there's so much stuff in here, but um, I need to describe a little bit of it to tell you that this game isn't just a shitty Smash clone because mm. there, we've had these games before. Sony tried to do one. Nintendo or uh, uh, Nickelodeon tried. The Nickelodeon tried to do one. Those games are not good. Yeah. This game is very good. Mm. The combat is intriguing. The animation for every character is lovingly done for their art style. Mm -hmm. Like I'll just describe my favorite character to you so far. And it is Tom and Jerry. Okay. And you wouldn't really expect that in the world of Batmans and Supermans. Mm -hmm. My favorite character in the game is Tom and Jerry, and here's why. When you're on screen, you're both Tom and Jerry. Mm -hmm. You're only controlling one of them. You control Tom, who is attacking Jerry. Mm -hmm. Jerry dodges. You attack him with a tennis racket, with a hammer. You throw things at him. 
and he dodges, and whoever happens to be there is the one getting hit. Wow. That's how Tom and Jerry works. I Here's love that. more than that. You can pick up Jerry in a slingshot and fire him across the stage. At this point, <laughs> you can make, and, and he will hit people, mm-hmm. and wherever he lands, that will make them fight each other. So Jerry will shoot tennis wow. balls at Tom, and Tom, one of his weapons, is a tennis racket, and he can fire those balls across the stage, who, which will impact your enemies. This is insane. While he is out there, you can play in doubles, mm-hmm. just like in Smash. Your party members can pick up Jerry as an item, which will empower them. And from then on, all of Tom's moves goes away, and anything he does is shoot a cork gun at Jerry, wherever Jerry happens to be, while your teammate is carrying him around. Wow. All of the, like, the level of cooperation possible with this one character blows my entire mind. Wow. It's so, so cool. It's so well animated. It's Mm -hmm. 2D, but you feel it around all the other 3D characters. This is Smash level, like, artistry and architecture happening. Mm -hmm. And I'm very excited about this game that is not even out yet. Wow. That's super exciting. Yeah. So, yeah, that that was my list. All right. Uh, Let's see here. I got a few things to mention just real fast. Um, I kind of had told myself I wasn't going to buy any games until Stray came out. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a lie. Yeah. I, in fact, bought two games before Stray (laughs) came out. Um, I picked up Vampire Swan Song, uh, which we will be talking about later in the show. Um, I picked up Valkyria Chronicles 4 for the Switch. Um, My Switch has has fast become my go-to tactical rpg system hell yeah so it's but i can play comfortably while i'm watching something else and tactic rpgs just fit that mold mm-hmm. so yeah i picked up valkyria chronicles 4 and have just been quietly enjoying it it's still as good as the first one like it's a lot of fun and it's something you can just kind of casually pick up and play in a very small burst which is nice yeah i um, feel like it turn-based games can enjoy a wonderful renaissance on the couch these absolutely days. and valkyria chronicles has the benefit of not being completely turn-based um, because your characters like actually move in real time and dodge bullets in real time mm. but they do stop to take actions and there is a you versus the enemy turn that that happens yeah. um so it gives you that little bit of action that you want in a third person shooter but it's also very much a turn kind of turn-based rpg as well yeah. um we're in the middle of watching the overwatch league mid-season our week has yep. been consumed just watching that is that over on tomorrow tomorrow being uh, friday saturday or is it saturday saturday okay. saturday's the finals gotcha um so other than that i've been catching up on a couple couple shows that are back out on hulu um what we do in the shadows i watched the first two episodes Ooh. three are out now it's still one of the most phenomenal shows out there and only murders in the building which i don't think i've mentioned before on no the show. and i really need to watch that um, yeah list. it is absolutely fantastic um you know martin short is fantastic uh just ever the entire cast lena gomez the, the entire cast and the fact that they make a second season in which they basically make fun of themselves for having a sequel season to something <laughs> is like this you would think the meta narrative would get boring but because of the way that it's scripted and just everybody being so fantastic in their roles mm-hmm. it's so good it's an easily bingeable show so yeah only murders in the building it's on hulu watch the first season if you don't fall in love with the first season i, I don't know what to say because it's yeah. just it is flat out hilarious and fun and, and it keeps you wondering till the end yeah no i love that yeah and that's everything that i've got for the prelude this week we're gonna take a small break and when we come back we'll be going into our main news segment in the weekly raid the Weekly Raid. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is the Weekly Raid, our news roundup for the week. There's a lot to talk about, so let's dive right in. Kicking things off, Finn Wolfhard of Stranger Thing and Ghostbusters fame is currently writing and directing a horror comedy slasher called Hell of a Summer. 
He is co-directing it with uh, Billy Brick, his co-star from Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, while this will be his first feature film to direct, Wolfhard has actually been dipping his hands into directing for a while, even making some of his shorts, such as uh, one called Night Shifts, available to see on YouTube. Uh, the plot of the film is currently under wraps, however. Okay. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think I said this to you at the time when, when you uh, told me about the article. Um, these kids have really grown up on sets. Yeah. Um, watching some, obviously because of how much I love Stranger Things, I'm going to say some of the best people in the business doing really good job writing, directing, I mean, cinematography, in, 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 grips, we, we everything. We were kids that grew up around 80s and 90s stories of like, the kid actors that were abused yeah. and like and did and like horrible things happen to them. And we're not hearing about that for these kids. Mm-hmm. And that's nice. Yep. No one just, none of them yet have just bought a bar so that all of their friends can come and do drugs together. Right. They seem to be, you know, educated and well adjusted to yeah. their lives, which is nice. And we expected that for like the Harry Potter kids, but over in America, things are a little different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, um, <laughs> you know, not so much with the child labor laws in Hollywood. Yeah. I'm excited for, this he's obviously had an interest in all things kind of horror related for a long time mm-hmm. um very bright individual i think that he's going to go really far and i'm really looking forward to this to be honest yeah absolutely i can't wait to see uh, when it comes to something like this i i just want to see what he makes yeah. you know someone this young yeah because mm. it feels like you're just you're going to basically just grow up with his career at this point right and and like giving this amount of resources to someone this young is is pretty awesome that is pretty cool uh m night Shyamalan is working on a new project called not at the cabin it's actually an adaptation of paul trembley's story the cabin at the end of the world uh dave batista and rupert grint among others are set to star in it the concept is a home invasion story that takes place during the apocalypse it has a planned release date of february 3rd 2023 badass yeah i um I, I, even though I haven't seen his last one, I generally like Shyamalan's movies. Yeah. Um, I take them. For do, you, what, do you think that he operates a little bit better when he has to work in somebody else's work? Oh God. Yes. Every mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah. That pretty much always. Yeah. That, and, and you know, I don't, I certainly don't love everything that he's made. And if we were talking about imperfect movies today, that a lot of his would be on my list. <laughs> I think that we would probably come back to that topic at some point. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I, I generally I like the things that he makes in the way that he makes them. Yeah. A sequel to the successful 2021 Mortal Kombat movie has been greenlit. Sweet. Jeremy Slater, who helped pen the Moon Knight series, will be writing it. It will uh, possibly be focusing on the other realms in the Mortal Kombat universe, which means we could see lots of characters who were left out in the last one. I am curious as to whether they will decide to make this movie theaters only. To me, Mm. that feels like a risk, considering that nearly... I, I, I don't think we were really going to the movies when this came out. Mm. So most people saw it at home. Yeah. On HBO or yeah, I think it was HBO when it came out, like I did. Yeah. And um, I think that somehow that got them to make another one. Mm-hmm. So it will be interesting to see how they handle that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's a big risk to just not do it, at least a split release. Right. You know. And the thing about also guys release, like the pandemic's not over, maybe still do some split releases. Yeah. Please do it for all movies to be honest 
Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things that um, the Black Phone came out, and we haven't really talked about the Black Phone, uh, which is amazing, and you should definitely see it. Yeah, go watch um, that. Yeah. A- about a week after the Black Phone came out, um, it came to video on demand, mm-hmm. and a lot of people were writing uh, Cargill, the writer on it, and saying like, "Hey, like, why is this coming to you know video on demand like so soon?" And he was like, "Bro, we penned it into our contract that like it'll get a theatrical release, but like also we want to make sure it gets to as many people as possible in the smallest window as possible." And there's still a pandemic happening, mm-hmm. like. Yep, still he, full on pandemic just, people. Just very upfront about it, and he's like, "Don't be mad that other people get to watch this movie." Like, yeah. I'm glad that you went and saw it in theaters, and we are all very happy, and everybody like wanted them to go see it in theaters. But like, yeah, I think theaters are. Here's here here's my thing about this, right? Because theaters used to be the only game in town for new movies, and that's yeah. what they want. They want that exclusivity for them. Yeah, but I think. When theaters say, oh, we'll all go bankrupt if everything comes to streaming, I think they're underestimating how much people like going to the movies. Right. Um, at least, and I've m- maybe this is a very way. personal thing for me. Yeah. And I know a lot of people love going to the movies, but like, I still will go see a lot of movies that I can just stream at the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the Alamo Draft House. They, they, they put on old movies all the time that I would love to see in a theater yeah. and can't wait to go to. Oh yeah, they'll they'll, yeah. Put, they'll put on something like RoboCop, and I'm like, I'm gonna go see yeah. fucking RoboCop. RoboCop or Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. or you know Batman, like like the Tim Burton's 1990s Batman, yeah. 89 Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I will absolutely go to a theater to see that shit. Yeah. And maybe a lot of movie theaters need to realize that that should be their model. And I know it's been so nationalized lately because they did used to have a monopoly yeah. on new releases that were of any sort of budget, but. Like, imagine how much better theaters would be if they really just catered to their community right. and was like, well, tonight we're doing, you know, it's it's old movie Tuesday and it's like sci-fi Bro, Wednesday. Bro, we straight up paid to go see fucking Macross Plus in theaters. Exactly. Like 25 years after the fact. Yeah. Like, like come on. How many movie theaters would benefit from like an anime night? Yeah. Most of them. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So here we go. Let's get into a couple bits of NFT news. Yeah. Square Enix, a Square Enix press release announced that for Final Fantasy VII's 25th anniversary, they are going to be selling digital card NFTs that will be tied to a physical version of collectibles. So the way that this works is you can buy the, quote, digital plus edition of things like a physical figure, and it will come with a ticket that lets you exchange it for a digital certificate of authenticity and a digital version of the figure. Stick with me here. In the terms of service, it does state that if the services server ever shuts down, you lose access to the NFT. <laughs> That's not even an NFT. Like they're, they're, they're selling you a statue, which great. Please keep selling statues of things people like. But they're also selling you, in the Plus Edition, mm-hmm. a JPEG of that statue. Yeah. On, on a server with a JPEG of a certificate that someone photoshopped into existence. Yeah. Of authenticity of the JPEG. Yeah. So they're making you pay more for these. And they're going to store it on their server, which they have complete power over, not in the blockchain. They didn't confirm anything about the blockchain being involved. That, I don't think that's an NFT. I don't know for sure. I know there's some fucking wizardry going on here, mm-hmm. but didn't anyone tell them that NFTs are over? Like, like they've been over for a good two months. Hector, my bros. they just sold two thirds of their property so they can double down into NFTs. So I got. I, I wish I, them a very I, merry bankruptcy. I have a couple of questions for you related to this, and 
so just putting your thinking cap on, mm-hmm. what is the n- number one biggest problem with NFTs that people, when they step away and they look at from the outside, is? That it's not real? I oh, mean, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would say global impact to the environment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 most people don't realize it until way later if they realize it at all. Right. So yeah. NFTs, if you're unfamiliar, for the most part, they take a lot of yeah. energy to generate. Yeah, they rely on the blockchain, which is already a massive electricity hog, no matter how many people like to label it green. It is a waste of resources that we have precious little of. Right. Hey, hey Hector, do you remember what the plot of Final Fantasy VII is? I do. Yeah. You know those... You know when you live under the uh, under the disc? Yeah. And they have those giant lights that replicate sunlight? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah. So they're taking a game about technology hurting the environment mm-hmm. and applying technology hurting the environment to it. Yep. That's where we're at on this. <laughs> just I'm going to let that sink into our audience and just, just sit there and think about that yep. one for a minute. What's the meme about the sci-fi author writing a book called Please Don't Make the Dimension of Suffering and then the actual corporation right now is like we're weeks away from actually creating the dimension of suffering we feel like it will be a giant profit motivator yeah that's where we're at it's it's fantastic on the other side of the spectrum however mojang the minds behind the wildly successful minecraft franchise wrote a very extensive blog post about nfts this week and i want to share some of the quotes with you i'm gonna go off script for a second if you have any curiosity about what an nft is or like its impacts the environment, stuff like that. Their actual blog post is very, very insightful for this. Uh, But I'm going to give you some select quotes about what their opinions about NFTs are, and we're going to go from there. Uh, Integrations of NFTs with Minecraft are generally not something that we will support or allow. To ensure that Minecraft players have a safe and inclusive experience, blockchain technologies are not permitted to be integrated inside of our client and server applications, nor may any uh, Minecraft in-game content such as world skins, persona items, or other mods be utilized by blockchain technology to create a scarce digital asset. We are also concerned that some third-party NFTs may not be reliable and may end up costing players who buy them. Some third-party NFT implementations are entirely dependent on blockchain technology and may require an asset manager who may disappear without notice. There have been also been instances where NFTs were sold at artificially or fraudulently inflated prices. We recognize that creation inside of our game has an intrinsic value, and we strive to provide a marketplace where those values can be recognized right on yeah so the to kind of boil it all down what they're saying is that uh you know games are fun and you should be free to play them without worrying about people having predatory predatory practices in them yeah yeah how about that that that, that is nice um i mean we're looking at you loot boxes and everything else Mm -hmm. but it's really comforting to know that as a group we looked at a form of monetization. The games industry was a, a yet another form of monetization that the games industry was was ab, was just prone and ready to thrust into us. And we said, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Unsubscribe. Yeah. And yeah, it feels good. Yeah. I feel like we can do it more it's and, and we can do it harder. Yeah. Let's not forget that. Um, and I don't know if this is in the news or not, so I don't mean to step on any toes, mm-hmm. but the, um, uh, a, a gaming CEO this uh, this uh, this week called um, developers who don't try and monetize every aspect of their game fucking idiots. Weird that you should say that, Hector, because actually directly next in my news, 
<laughs> the CEO of game devel- uh, game engine developer Unity, John Riccatello, mm. who previously was a boss over at EA Studios, oh, was interviewed games. this week. During the interview, he was asked about the criticism that Unity has faced when it came to monetization models of their software. His reply was essentially that if you don't think about monetization during the creative process of the game, you are, quote, a fucking idiot. Quote, I don't know a successful artist anywhere who doesn't care about what the player thinks. This is uh, this is where this cycle of feedback comes from, and they can choose to ignore it. But to choose to not know it at all is not a great call. So after this interview came out, there was immediate immediate backlash from all over games developers, just all over Twitter. They just lost their shit and like went after this dude. So as one does. He issued an apology. Hector, you ready? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Try and. I wish you had a little robot voice modulator. I I can try and get something funny here. What I want to talk about is what I said in the interview and my follow up tweet. I'm going to start with an apology. My word choice was crude, and I am sorry. I am listening, and I will do better. Oh, God. What I can do, perhaps, is provide more on what I was thinking when I did the interview. What I would have said if I had taken greater care. First, I have great respect for game developers. <laughs> the work that they do is amazing. Or shit. The creativity can be incredible, whether on a AAA console, mobile, or indie developer designed to be played by millions or a creative project a game made just for the sheer joy of it second (laughs) one thing i have seen is that most game dev work incredibly hard and i want and they want people to play their game they want people to enjoy it and when approximate when they want to have players approximately engage deeply with it For game devs that I have worked closely with, there is often an anxiety about whether players will love the game and appreciate the work and love that went into making it. Third. Sometimes a game developer wants to have a handful of friends enjoy their game. Art for the sake of art and or friends. Others want player money to buy the game or game items so that they can make a living. Both of these motivations are noble. Fourth, what I was trying to say and clearly failed at saying is that there are better ways for game developers to get an early read on what players think of their game, to learn from their feedback, and if the developer wants to adjust the game based on this feedback... It's a choice to listen and act, or just to listen. Again, both are valid choices. Oh, wow. If I had been smarter in choosing my words, I would have said just this. We are working to provide developers with tools so they can better understand what people think, and it is up to them to act or not based on this feedback. Anyway, that's it. Lots of words and a sentence I wish I had never said. Jesus fucking Christ. What a tool. Right? (laughs) What a fucking tool. What an absolute wiener. Like, okay. So imagine being 
shitty at your job and being fired as CEO. Mm -hmm. The funny thing about being a CEO and being fired for being bad at it is you can always be hired as a CEO somewhere else. I don't know how that works out for them. It It just probably gets written into their contract that like if they get fired, the company has to find them a new job. Right. You know, or give them a golden parachute made of gold or something. But yeah, so you get fired from being a CEO. You go to another place that decides to hire you because you're probably very cheap for like CEO money. Mm -hmm. And then you just decide to shit on developers. The livelihood of what your product is. You're literally in charge of running a tool that you want developers to use to make their game. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so... To me, like, this is, the, that that word salad was basically like, I'm very sorry that my actual mess slipped off for a second. It won't happen again. Yeah, yeah. S3 Prototype in chat says, CEO is just like the weatherman. Lie to your face and keep your job. Mm-hmm. You know, Straight it, up. Everything about this was just like, I was reading every single word like, oh man, you're just hoping you keep your job by the end of the week, aren't you, Yeah, bud? and at one point he was just listing ways that people make games. <laughs> like, yeah. come on, dude. You, yeah. Some yeah. people make games this way, some people don't. Yeah. Some people feed their cats, some people don't. I love his 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 <laughs> uh, fucking inference that, like, well, you know, some developers decide to listen to their fans, and some make the choice not to. As I know, any right? developers who ever worked for EA had the choice to be like, yo, this monetization is whack. Can we not? It'll make right? our game unpopular. I dare anyone who... <laughs> everyone who works at EA, y'all need to, like, get in a group and all say this during every meeting you're in. <laughs> they can't fire all of you. Labor solidarity. It is undefeated. <laughs> yep. Welcome to it. Moving on, Nintendo Japan updated their corporate social responsibility information section of their website. And on there, they state that they will now recognize same-sex marriage. Now, why is this such a big deal? Mm, Lots of reasons. So I'm going to just quote the big end themselves. Although same-sex marriages are not currently recognized under Japanese law, this system ensures employees who are in a domestic partnership uh, with the same-sex partner have the same benefits as employees in an opposite-sex marriage. So they're talking about Mm -hmm. we are going to give them insurance and stuff like that, all all the stuff that you get with them. Mm -hmm. We have also established that a common law marriage between couples will be observed in the same way as a legal marriage. By improving our company systems and conduct training, we will continue to work to create an environment where each of our many diverse employees can fully realize their talents. Can I can I point out something silly but very, very, very fun for me? Sure. This um, was done in a tweet and that, 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 that was like the, the announcement came out. And the icon that they decided to use for this announcement was Mario, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, representing Nintendo, what could be more iconic than Mario? Sure, yeah. And the, the, the it wasn't just Mario. It was Mario from the shoulders up, very clearly wearing a suit. <laughs> not, n- not, um, not the overalls and the blue shirt, a suit. Like a suit and tie suit? Like, like yeah, like like a suit. Like like he put on a tux, like Mario tux version. Like he was in Odyssey. That, that that Mario put on a suit to talk about gay rights, y'all. 
And I'm wow. here for it. I'm so here for this. Like, yeah, yeah, like like this is just that that was the best. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate Nintendo for this, especially being based in a country that doesn't do this. I, I think say, a lot like, of American Nintendo is like one of the this. biggest companies. Yeah, if Nintendo's one of the biggest companies in Japan, mm-hmm. and they were just like, so our government's saying this, but fuck them. Yeah, mm-hmm. like wow. How about we have a lot more companies do this in the United States? <laughs> like for for literally everything wrong. Right? That is ridiculous. Yeah, I, I love this. Yeah, and they went on to say that they went on to re- revise their regulations regarding harassment, uh, prohibit discriminatory, uh, discriminatory comments based on sexual orientation, and gender identity as mm-hmm. well. Like, it's a whole ass thing. Yep. Nintendo says trans rights. Goddamn right, trans rights. Why do I put on a suit to say trans rights too? Right. That's I love this fucking shit. fantastic. I am I am so into this. Yeah, did Nintendo go punk? I mean, I, they I, they had to at this. I, this yeah. is punk in Japan right now. Hell yeah! The rebellion started with Nintendo. I never thought I would say that ever in my life. Yeah, maybe you should have called your console the revolution, my friends. Ooh, it was right there. You it were, was. You tried to. You, you wanted to use it, but that was just the code name. All right, let's see what we got here. Oh, we got some some fun news. Try to put some fun news in here. Yeah. Uh, sprinkle it in. Uh, co-director of The Last of Us, uh, Bruce Stratley, has launched a new game studio called Wildflower, Wildflower Interactive. Sorry. Interesting. Um, his studio is based around, quote, good people making good games. Mm. According to tweets this week, uh, he said, we're a small team of big collaborators that's been hard at work on a cool new game. Uh, the tweet also went on to say the team has has secured the quote bread emoji so they actually got an investor for okay and they said they are looking to create small-ish titles that are creatively charged and uniquely stylized that's honestly been my bread and butter lately especially during the summer i'm I'm having a bit of a and you if you watch the show at all and you can see how many games i'm going through you can probably tell i'm i'm having very much like an indie summer because there aren't a lot of big title releases hot indie summer yeah hot indie summer that's what it is i have played like at least six video games since the beginning of june that are Mm. all like less than 10 hours long and they're fantastic and i love them all i love all that stray just came out yeah yeah and and i can't wait to play stray i'm gonna get high and play that this weekend yeah like, there's a game i learned about uh, on gdq called infernax that looks like um and and i know there are a lot of games have done this but i'm i'm being serious it looks like nes level castlevania oh yeah but they put in like a ton of uh a ton of rpg mechanics you power up your thing they have quests they think about like, like castlevania 2 mm. and the way that like most people don't like that game but it has an overworld and a town and there are several towns a big overworld map a a day night cycle yeah uh, tons of questing at nine fucking endings wow like, like in an S, S, in an nes like level like graphically game yeah this is way too cool and i can't wait to play it yeah i'm super excited about that just these small projects things like stray um, things like, uh, I mean, there's just so many great like indie titles that are out there. I've been doing a lot of smaller indie games myself. Mm-hmm. Like I've just been kind of dismissing some of the bigger titles. Yes. I, I want to come back and play them, but I still haven't played Elden Ring. I, oh, yeah. I've been caught up playing everything else at this point. Mm-hmm. I, I realize I've probably missed the train on Elden Ring. I'm going to have to like drag you into like, you know, with me to actually get through it. Sure, yeah. I'm in. Um, but yeah, a lot of the stuff that I've been playing is just these great little indie darlings and it's been such a good summer for it. Just something I yeah. can play on the weekends and kind of just dive in to start and finish and that's fantastic and yeah, fingers crossed we both have steam deck soon yeah seriously that's what we can hope for uh the uk government has ended their two-year look into loot boxes and their effects on users and has determined quote the government does not intend to amend or extend the scope of gambling regulation to cover loot boxes at this time 
Hold on. Essentially, they believe that the video game industry can self-regulate itself. However, the report went on to say they have identified a stable and consistent association between loot box use and problem gambling, saying there are a range of plausible explanations that could underpin this association between loot box spending and problem gaming behaviors. Mm -hmm. And further evidence is therefore required. And what they go on to say with all this is if the industry does not self-regulate, they will not hesitate to consider legislation if companies do not bring in sufficient measures to keep people safe. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's the UK and they've been, you know, they've been on about this shit for a while. Um, I in one sense, it's like, well, good. They, you know, are threatening to consider doing something that's about the this best is, you this, can get out of Tories. This is the comics code all over again. Yeah. This is them coming in and saying like, look, man, you better self-regulate in your industry or we're going to come down on you. Mm-hmm. Here are your choices. At the same time, asking the games industry, which is not based out of the UK, like nearly at all mm. to regulate itself is a little bit like the Fox guarding the hen house, as they would say in, yeah. in, in merry old England. I don't know. I don't know any <laughs> of your stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, like it, they, they won't, they won't, there's no reason for them to, they will go literally as far as they can to, and like step their toe over the line, but then retreat and say, no, we're sorry. And you won't do anything. Yeah. That's their strategy. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know, maybe put in a few laws like, Hey, if we find a kid addicted to fucking gambling and making his family homeless, we're coming after you for it. Right. That seems like the way to do it. That does seem like the way to do it. And finally, we have one piece of news for our weekly segment, our unfortunate weekly segment. Blizzard, are you okay? Oh God. QA workers at Blizzard Albany have filed to unionize with the National Labor Relations Board. They would be joining Raven Software QA testers who have already formed a union. Blizzard has said, quote, we deeply, let me get my Blizzard voice on. (laughs) We deeply respect the rights of all employees under the law to make their own decisions about whether or not to join a union. We believe that a direct relationship between the company and its employees is the most productive relationship. Mm -hmm. The company will be publicly and formally providing a response to the petition to the NLRB. Let's not forget that um, not only are most of these companies really bad at productivity, but productivity is not what they're complaining about. No. None of those workers are like, y'all, we're really uh, like, like we're not productive enough. <laughs> right. Um, I would like some labor rights so that we can be more productive. more productive. No, they're saying we're being abused. They're saying we're not paid a living wage and we sleep in our fucking cars. We can't afford to eat at the cafeteria and they don't have any health care. Also, they work 24 hour days and fucking thousand hour weeks mm-hmm. sleeping under their desks to bring you Red Dead Redemption 2 so that the fucking... <laughs> So that Rockstar can abandon it without releasing any of the DLC. (laughs) God damn it. Productivity. Yeah. No, I mean, that's just, it is what it is. And it's interesting that this movement is starting with the QA teams. It's like, it's getting momentum on kind of the grassroots level, which Mm -hmm. is the QA teams. Yeah. And we'll see if it scales from there. Right. Yeah. And and that's what I love about the movement so far is it's starting with like the most abused people because people will tell you for years that, you know, and, and there's a lot of people, our generation and a little younger, who like mm. couldn't wait to get a job in the games industry yep. and heard about a QA testing job mm. and went in and were asked to open a 
fucking consoles CD port like 600 times in a day mm. and then like catalog the results mm. and, you know, realize that they made no money for doing it and they were there for 16 hours mm. and then hated the games industry. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I love that they're going first. Yeah. Please don't abuse your QA testers. They're, yeah. They, they, uh, they literally make your games good possible. Good QA testers make your game good. Yeah. QA testers who are abused and hate you will probably leave a bunch of shit in your game that everyone's going to hate. Yeah. That's what I would do. Fuck y'all. So we kind of ended on a high note. I'm yeah. okay with that. No, it's good. It's good news. More unionization, please, from the entire games industry. But that's all that we're going to talk about news-wise. Mm-hmm. We have a lot to talk about when we talk about our love of flawed games. Oh, yes. In the boss room. Boss room. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the boss room, our main discussion for the week. Sometimes related to the news, sometimes not. There was a lot of heavy news this week, so we decided to keep things a little bit light and talk about games that might be flawed, but you enjoy anyway. So, I'm going to tell you what inspired this week's episode. So, I picked up Vampire the Masquerade Swan Song for the PS5 Mm -hmm. over the last week. And when I say that the copy of this game that I played is deeply flawed, I am not over-exaggerating. Right. I mean, it, it is a Vampire the Masquerade. Right. So at one point I'm playing as uh, a character who's uh, Malkavian or Malkavian. Um, They're the kind of, they're considered the insane or like, you know, gifted, Mm -hmm. you know, with a third eye kind of way clan. Um, And so in things like Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, the game would kind of fuck with you when you played with played as that clan, like a stop sign would talk to you and like other stuff like that. And so when I was playing this character and mind you, this game was developed by a French developer. Um, I had just assumed that some of the text in the inventory being in French was just the game fucking with me. Cause I was playing a Malkavian. Yeah. And then I started playing the other two characters. Cause you play three different characters in this game. Uh, and also that same text was in French. Oh. And I went, well, fuck. And then I got to a chapter where I kept doing everything that I thought was correct and I couldn't get an NPC to talk to me. And I'm like, why isn't this working? I'm doing the literal thing the game is telling me to do. And so the character you're playing is this Malkavian character and she has a daughter. And this is literally the basic plot of the game. Okay. And um, maybe people can see the daughter. Maybe people can't see the daughter. That's a whole plot of the story. And when the daughter shows up, you, um, when you tend to get in character in a game when you play a, a game, right? Like you play, oh, yeah. you play God of War and you want to talk to your son or yeah. other things like that. No, I, I've literally played Metal Gear Solid 3 with a bandana tied right. around the back like, of my head. There you go. Mm-hmm. And so this scene enters, you're in a nightclub, you walk into this nightclub and you see your daughter kind of like creepy girl laugh and giggle across in front of you. And so my first instinct is, of course, like, hey, walk over, talk to daughter, mm-hmm. right? Because like, that's the thing. But... I did not know this until I have reset this level four fucking times. I swear to God. I, you, <laughs> luckily, it resets you just from the stage you're in, but oh, okay. I had to reset that level four fucking times until I looked up a guide online because I was like, why isn't this person talking to me? Mm-hmm. And they're like, so here's the deal. There's a bug in this game where if you go and talk to your daughter first before talking to this person, they will not respond to you with the things that you need to progress his part of the story. Oops. Now, from what I understand, this game is not as broken on console. Okay. Um, or sorry, on PC. On, oh, on, on, okay. I'm sorry, okay. On, on PC, it's been patched and gotcha. has a lot of patches. Okay. Console does not seem to have these patches. Mm-hmm. So effectively, anytime I thought that I was stuck in the game, I had to look up a guide to go. Did I just bug myself out? Or, yeah. And this happened more than once. Mm-hmm. Now that being said, 
I had a lot of fun with this game. It is a game that is dialogue driven. It's based around you building these character sheets and dice rolls, much like Disco Elysium. So your dice rolls affect, there's not really combat in the game. It's, yeah. it's more like a point and click adventure. You walk around, you talk to people, you figure out clues, you do a thing. And yes, there are like physical disciplines that vampires can have, but they only come into play like a couple of times in the game. Everything is really about the mental disciplines, the persuasions, the, you know, the, uh, the intimidation, stuff like that. Right. And I love that aspect of it because it was kind of really reminded me of that old rock, paper, scissors, a vampire LARP where it was vampire LARP. It doesn't tend to have a lot of combat in it. It tends to be a very social situation, a mm -hmm. social thing. And so people are, you know, conniving and, you know, going behind one another's backs. And it felt like that. And I loved it. And there's so much about the story and the lore and it was so rich and it just explored so many cool things. And there were so many great repercussions for things. Now, mind you, towards the end of the game, I had to use a guide a little bit more because I, again, didn't know if things were getting buggy mm -hmm. or, if I was just screwing things up and one of the great things about it like the guides that I had had read it was keeping things very vague I appreciate that it was just like you need to do this do this and I'm like all right cool figure it out and there's one point where it's just like so here's an, and this is a kind of a late game spoiler I apologize they're like there are several ways to get out of this bad situation that you're in you can talk to this person and do a thing or you could talk to this person or do a thing or there's a werewolf in the back of the room that you could let out oh and that's up to you. The guy was just like, it's up to you, really, if you want to do that. It's but, a choice. But do think about the fact that vampires and werewolves are not really friends. And I was just like, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and there's actually an entire other level in the game that you will not get if you do not unlock that werewolf. Nice. I love it. Um, that part of the game is frustrating as fuck. <laughs> I was also probably really drunk at the time because I was just like pounding red wine at this point because I was I was trying to get to the end of the game. I was so close yep. to the end. Like the chapters are like chapters one, two, three. And so the, the characters have like chapters one, two, three respectively for each of the characters. Okay. And then it repeats one, two, three, and then one, two, three. So like nine stages of that. Mm -hmm. And then stage 10 is actually just like these inner cuts between the characters very fast. Cool. So you're kind of just like pushing the story along. Um, and characters can die in this. I did not get anywhere close oh, to- Oh, wow. I didn't get anywhere close to a good ending. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to be very careful about your experience points. And one thing that really did piss me off about the game is that throughout the course of the game, as I was playing it, I was going, God, I hope this game has a new game plus because I want to take all the skills that I learned, yep. bring it into the next game and really just roll people's faces mm -hmm. because you are intentionally weaker than everybody else in this game. Uh. And I want to be like not weak when I play it again. There is no new game plus. I am Dang. hoping if they, they if need they, that, if they put that in there, I will pick that game back up tomorrow and play through it all again. Mm -hmm. But this game is a fundamentally flawed and buggy game. Still at the end of the day, I do not feel that I had a bad time with it. Okay. Which got me into this idea of flawed, but fun games. Mm. So what games can you think of that are flawed that, you know, for whatever reason you still love no matter what? Oh, I mean, my first and uh, probably biggest answer is definitely The Witcher 2. Um, the Witcher 2 is what got me into the series. It mm -hmm. made me go back and play one, which is less accessible and more buggy, but I still loved. And um, then I, you know, couldn't get enough of The Witcher 3 when it came out just mm -hmm. because of how much I loved I got hard locked into Witcher. The Witcher 2. Yeah. I was playing it because we were working together at the time. I yep. was playing The Witcher 2 and I got to a point... It, Basically the end game yeah. where I got locked into a staircase and it was just unwinnable for me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, well, I guess yep. I just. Uh... 
there there was yeah. a lot of that yeah. in the game. They, 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 it was one of those RPGs, those Western RPGs. It felt like a lot of the time where you could, by sheer circumstance, just not be able to win a scenario because you didn't spec your character right, yeah. because you didn't talk to the right NPC, and now you've unlocked a a a scenario that you that no one is prepared for. Or you may just find a game-breaking bug, or you may find a bug in a boss that you fight that you, you're just not able to get past unless you load a save from hours and hours before. Oh, God. And that's the thing is I just didn't have a save that was yeah. you know, close enough to be able to do No, it. no. Th- this happens. The game is full of that. And underneath that, I found a combat system that was nearly impenetrable in uh, its strange quirks. And... A skill tree where one of the branches was pure garbage. Garbage. Yeah. You're just absolutely, why would you do this to yourself? Mm-hmm. Do you hate yourself? Yeah. You'll never finish the game on normal mode if you respect mm-hmm. into this tree at the expense of the others. That kind of thing. There was a lot wrong with that game. Yeah. But inside, I found a beautiful story and a very compelling world wonderful characters, very, very well acted and lovingly created in-game cutscenes. Um, yeah, a, a story to rival any season of Game of Thrones. Like, uh, it's marvelous the quality that went into that game. And I will tell anyone who cares to listen to play it if they get the chance. Right. But I will also tell them that, that there are issues. Yeah, there are issues with this game, so that's that's my first one. <laughs> sure, my first one's pretty easy because it actually rolls right into what the, it started this conversation, which was Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. Mm. Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines on its launch was a deeply flawed game. Oh yeah, it actually was not until after several several fan patches that the game was mostly in a playable state. Yeah, fortunately for everybody out there, if you're interested in playing Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, which is a very much more robust game than Swan Song. Both are narrative-driven games, but Bloodlines does have more action related to it. Um, if you buy it on GOG, it does come with all of the fan patches automatically installed. They just said, "Nope, we're just gonna. We know that that's the only way to run this game." And like the Steam version is just like the normal version of the game. Right? GOG, they're like, "No, we're packaging in all this stuff because the game is not functional otherwise." Yeah. And the fact that that game still has a modding community to this day that has been going in and reverse engineering some of the quests that never actually got completed and putting those in the game blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. We got some dedication there from people who just want a thing that they love to be good and have the the skills to make it that way. Yeah. Name something else that's flawed that you love, Hector. Oh, God. Um, Yeah. Uh, uh, God help me. I love so much the... um, uh, it, how did the name that they're not Grand Theft Auto? They are the Saints Row ones. The Saints Row games. Yeah, those games are flawed for so many reasons. Yeah, but you can tell that the studio likes what they're doing more mm. than anyone at Rockstar has ever enjoyed anything <laughs> in their lives because they're like the brands of humor. Look, I are have different. family that works at Rockstar, and he has good things to say about. Working there or about the games he gets to make? Oh, okay. Well, uh, that's pretty unique from what I've heard. But I'm sure he has has a wonderful time. Mm. But so anyway, yeah, the the thing about these games is they decided to be the uh, budget GTA in a time where there was a lot of budget GTA. 
Yeah. And these games took everything they could in their budget and just poured it into the heart and soul of the game. Every joke, they, they're like, it, this the game is about comedy, right? Like, so instead of naming the Wendy's... Um, I think... Okay, so I'm going to yeah. talk about Saints Row for a minute since okay. we're here. Saints Row is kind of like, and hear me out, like the TV show Legends of Tomorrow. Okay. First season, first game. Yeah. Way too up its own ass and way too serious. Mm-hmm. Trying so much to be what it's trying to emulate. Right. Legends of Tomorrow just wanted to be a super superhero another, dark show yeah, like the Arrowverse. Saints Row really wanted to be fucking Arrow or Saints Row wanted to be fucking uh, GTA. Yeah. And then the second season happened. Yeah. And they were just like, like fuck, fuck it. Fuck it. Yeah, you know what? We we might not beat Rockstar, but we can be fundamentally different. I will take Saints Row Three the year it came out as Game of the Year over Skyrim. That's how good those games got. Mm. Those games had interesting and meaningful quest lines. They had it, 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 interesting characters. They had gameplay that put fun first before realism. No one was driving around trying to follow traffic laws. They were yeah. air jumping into the sky with rocket launchers. Mm. You know, and, and that's. You know, they found the fun and, and that's, I appreciate that very much. That's the big thing, right? Just finding the fun. That's my second one. Are you ready for me to upset a whole lot of people, Hector? Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Here it comes. A flawed, but fun game. I am sorry in advance internet for what I'm about to say. The original Deus Ex. Oh, oh yeah. I know you're absolutely right. So here's my history of the original Deus Ex. I believe it or not, never played the game when it originally came out. I, in fact, did not play Deus Ex until right before Human Revolution came out. Oh, yeah, that's good. I had seen mm-hmm. the trailer for Human Revolution. I was really into transhumanism at the time. Yep. And I was just like, oh, this is my shit. And my friend was like, bro, if you're going to play, you need to play the original. And he bought me a copy on Steam for Christmas or something. Yeah, He's like, yeah. here you go, play it. I got so stuck so many times. And I don't mean like stuck, like I don't know how to puzzle. I mean like literally locked into walls, like unwinnable situations. I I definitely had multiple save states at any given point. Cause like Mm -hmm. even the guides you would read online on game FAQs was like make multiple save states just in case the game crashes, anything happens to it. Like it's a brilliant game. It is awesome. It is majestic. It changed the world. It created a kind of game that I literally, really define my life. Every time I hear a game like this comes out in 0451 and interactive sim comes out, I'm like, put that directly into my veins. Yep. I don't care. Like when I heard the remake of Prey was coming or, or a new Prey game was coming out, but yeah. it had nothing to do with the original. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to play that. And they're like, hey, get, sim. it's an immersive sim. And I'm like, fuck it. <laughs> yep. Let's fuck go. It, fuck it. Put it in me. Here we go. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the original Deus Ex and even Human Revolution, all of them, in fact, all the Deus Ex games have flaws. Sure. But the good so far outweighs the bad. Mm-hmm. I just oh, don't yeah. care. Absolutely. I mean, you can talk about all kinds of flaws with the original Deus Ex, right? I mean, this was at a time when facial animation was was lines flapping up and down like, right. like Canadian mouths in South Park. This is at a time when voice acting was not even a tertiary concern for yeah. studios putting any voices at all in their game. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, when you talk about quest design, when you talk about the myriad of ways that you could solve puzzles, uh, yeah, game is a masterpiece, but mm. it's certainly a flawed one. Mm. Um, my my big next one um, is because the entire series is flawed, and there's a lot to be flawed about this series. And I don't play these games anymore, even though a long time ago I played all of them. In fact, this is the last one that I played. Okay, I'm going to talk about Assassin's Creed Black Flag. 
All right. I forgot you're a guy that likes Assassin's Creed. I'm, yep. I, I, I try. I, I try, Hector. I try almost every three or four games to play. Oh, yeah. No, just, no, no. You don't, I, you don't I, have to. Anymore. There's no value in those games I can't games find the fun in it. And Black Flag was the one that last one I really tried to put my time into. Mm-hmm. Got through about the first little bit of it. Got off the boat and went, well, I'm done. No, no. That game has a two-hour tutorial. I'd be surprised yeah. if you got through the whole thing. Yeah. Like, like it, it is it is mind-numbing. Mm-hmm. But all Assassin's Creed games are like that. And I was used to it by then. No. So the Assassin's Creed Respect, franchise. by the way, if you love those games. Oh, yeah. I, I've heard great things about it. They're just not for me. I loved it for the... Uh, okay, so I'm the type of guy who just will just follow your story. Mm. Like, if it's interesting, give me a mystery box. And this is back in the days when the the J.J. Abrams thing was really firing on all cylinders because yeah. people weren't used to that shit. You know, so you give me a game like Assassin's Creed, the first one, and I have dual timelines with somehow this guy in the near future, like, can recover his memories of his past and, like, you know, reveal things about the past to people in the present. And I'm like, ooh, this is fun. And I play through an entire open world game about it, you know, and it's an interesting setting and I'm assassinating people and it gives me, like, almost a ninja vibe and I'm way in. So... Second one comes out, you know, and they decide to move from, you know, the the, the the ancient Middle East into, you know, the Italian Renaissance. And they make three games about that, all with killer stories. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm just inundated with the... the honestly, the, 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 one of the weird things about Assassin's Creed, and I don't mean to cut you off, no, 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 no. is that I could honestly listen to somebody talk about the story of Assassin's Creed games for hours. In fact, oh, yeah. I'm surprised I've never looked up somebody who's done like the giant video essay about them because I would just listen to it. Oh, it's yeah. a fascinating universe. It is. The Assassin's it, Creed lore dump is magnificent. Yeah. There's so much cool shit going on. It is a great sci-fi story that for some reason they didn't tell in the movie. <laughs> that You know, the... the does anyone remember they made a movie? About I think I, 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 I try and catch every video game movie out there, but I think I skipped that one. It had Michael Fassbender, and no one watched it. Yeah, and, and they didn't miss anything. You know, Michael Fassbender was in Frank, and nobody watched that either. So That's true. Shame on, shame on you. Go watch Frank. It's a movie. Go watch Frank. Movie. Don't watch the Assassin's Creed movie. Watch Frank. Yeah. Watch Frank twice instead. <laughs> so anyway. Um, you know, that, that, that is, uh, that, so that's Assassin's Creed, the first one. The second, third, and fourth ones were all in Italy, and they were all sh- offshoots of the second game. Then they made Assassin's Creed 3, mm-hmm. which was in um, which was in the United States during colonial times, and you were Native American. Right. N- yikes. Like, <laughs> go back and play that game. Like, you, he, you are the protagonist, but still, like, fucking yikes, man. Mm. Like, just, yeah, for that entire game. But, um... Just system after system after open world system after just all the ways they were trying to obfuscate and disrespect my time. Mm. And finally, I get fed up. Mm. And then they make one about pirates. Oh, yeah. And, and if there's anything we know about Hector, oh, it's I fucking samurai love and pirates. Yep. <laughs> pirates and samurai and all of that good stuff. And I hope they never make a samurai Assassin's Creed because I already got it and they'll never make a game that good. Pretty sure the rumors are the next Assassin's Creed is Assassin's Creed Japan. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure too. Well, whatever. It won't be Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, it's, please try. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, um, so yeah, you, you, so then there's one about pirates and I'm into the pirate thing. So I suffer through the extensive tutorial and the walking around at slow paces for hours and then really get into the meat of the game mm-hmm. get into the sailing and the swashbuckling and improving my ship and finding sea shanties because you spend a lot of your time sailing from island to island in this game and you can change the the the, the songs that your crew sings yeah. as you go and make it a little playlist for yourself yeah. it's wonderful 
the game's story is very simple. It's about a, you know, a new new pirate named Conway uh, coming into, you know, the, the, the Caribbean islands um, back in the day when pirates were a thing. The present day story is almost extinct from the game at this point. Like, mm-hmm. no one gives a shit. And I found myself really enjoying it, but despite knowing how grindy the game was, I was like, no, I need to get my ship built up so I can go hunt that white whale. No, I need to assault all of these like small island castles and like jump up into them so that I can increase my pirate empire. And I just ate every drop of that game Mm. knowing how bad it was while I was playing it. And yeah, that's a flawed game that I did love and will tell other people to play because it was very sweet. Hector... You're my best friend, Mm -hmm. and I love you very much. Love you too, man. And I hope that what I'm about to say does not upset you. The next flawed game that I had fun with on my list, it's Control. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is not a perfect game. Control is a fantastic game. Its story has resonated with me. It has stuck with me. You you sold me. You were the man who sold me on the game who said, Mm -hmm. if you love the book House of Leaves, you will love Control. Yep. And I, I, I believed you so much that before Control came out, I made sure to pick up Alan Wake so that I could play Alan Wake first because I had heard there's Alan Wake stuff in Control. Mm-hmm. That's how much I trust and value your opinion. Mm-hmm. And I loved every minute that I had with Control, except for the minutes that I didn't. Oh, yeah. Game, game can be fucking frustrating. <laughs> that game was frustrating as fuck. Yes, it is. And I do not know if it was because I was too good at the game and the difficulty just ramped up too fast. If I didn't grind enough, if I didn't do enough side quests, but mm. there was a definitive wall in that game that I just almost told that game to go fuck itself. Yep. Yeah. And I don't blame you. And the thing about Remedy's games going go, going back to the past and... um. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I love, I absolutely love Control as well. And so I'm going to piggyback on this one with my next choice, and that's the entire Max Payne series. Yeah. Because Remedy has always made games that people absolutely love. Uh, God, those games have flaws. The original Max Payne was so intuitive and so innovative, and so, so had such interesting storytelling. That game was made on a shoestring budget. Yeah. And it really shows in some of the gameplay. Uh, <laughs> some of the ways that you can break that game are absolutely hilarious. And even when they got Rockstar money for like Max Payne 2 and 3, yeah. um, the game still had just like massive problems in the way either it told its stories or it presented itself, mostly having to do with the way that video games aren't movies and vice versa. Mm-hmm. A thing that Rockstar is usually pretty good at right up until it isn't with stuff like L.A. Noir and Max Payne 3. I actually, I didn't have that on my list, but I deeply loved L.A. Noir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a flawed that is fucking a very game. flawed game. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that is a game with parts that are straight up narcolepsy boring. Yeah. But the rest of it is intriguing and it's a great story and has wonderful acting. Yeah. Hector, uh, we won't have time to go through my entire list. Mm-hmm. But as my friend, I'm going to let oh, you yeah. uh, ask you to def- tell me which one to defend off of the list that you see right in front of you. Oh, right. Oh, what do you, what, what do you want me to defend? I would like you to defend. Um, I would like you to do. De- let's see. Jeez. Uh, uh, yeah, I want you to defend Bioshock Infinite. Bioshock Infinite. Okay. So Bioshock Infinite's a bit of a personal one for me. And mm-hmm. I know that this doesn't really make it remember when we talk about flawed, but fun games, Mm. that's very personal, right? Mm -hmm. Just because I like Deus Ex doesn't mean somebody else is going to like it, even though it's flawed. Mm -hmm. Um, Bioshock Infinite came out around at a really weird point in my life. Um, I had just lost my grandfather. Mm -hmm. Um, I had just moved to Austin. I had just lost my grandfather. Um, 
I was in a new city where I barely knew anybody. Um, I had a couple friends that, that were here, but like, it was really me starting over and I felt very kind of disempowered mm-hmm. and playing Bioshock Infinite, um, as I was getting my bearings in the city and making new friends and, you know, finding a future relationship and all this other stuff. Um, I felt very empowered by playing the game. That being said, I recognize the flaws in it. Um, the bosses are horrible. Um, it's very on rails, like literally on rails. Yeah. Um, it just seemed like Ken Levine, like just, he didn't go hard enough. Yeah. Like the trailers that we saw for it and the game that we actually got were so different. It seemed like there was so much more game there and they decided to pare it down instead right. of give it the time it needed to become what it wanted to be. And there's some really great books. I think that one of the ones that Jason Schreier wrote actually talks about the history of the development of Bioshock Infinite and they were abusive working conditions. Yeah. Ken Levine is not a good person. Um, he makes some amazing things, but he's very abusive to his staff and it just, I, I'm upset that I like it so much because I did, by the end of it, I did feel like happy, like seeing the lighthouse again at the end. Yeah. There's a lot of that nostalgia that hit for me. And I actually didn't play Burial at Sea, by the oh. way, until like a couple years ago. Yeah. I waited years to play Burial at Sea. Mm-hmm. That's and, part of the whole game. And yeah, like that just made it even better for me. There are elements of Bioshock Infinite that are the through line of a good game Mm -hmm. in some very cool moments. And I think that if you're in it for the spectacle, the spectacle works. It is all about spectacle, not necessarily about content the way that the original Bioshock was. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So I feel like this very last one we can do together. Okay. um, Because we both played it. I believe you platinum to this one. Okay. Um, And I'm going to talk about all the bad parts because. Okay. Uh, I'm going to need you to talk about uh, all the good parts to remind me. I'm going to tag team this. I dig it. Yeah. The last one I want to talk about is Final Fantasy XV. Oh, let's do it, y'all. Yeah. Um, Let's do it. So here is an open world Final Fantasy game where they entirely ran out of quests for you to do within the first couple hours of the game yeah um the, the side quests in that game make absolutely zero sense can i talk history real quick oh sure yeah yeah, yeah yeah before we get into it history real quick if you're unfamiliar with final fantasy 15 aside from it being the 15th mainline entry in the final fantasy franchise final fantasy 15 began life as a spinoff to final fantasy 13 called mm-hmm. final fantasy 13 versus correct and so the idea was the initial concept was we would have the main story of final fantasy 13 and then we would have the side story of final fantasy 13 versus and the idea was you were essentially playing the protagonist um, and you get to see the world through their eyes and maybe the bad guy actually wasn't the bad guy the whole time. It was a very kind of high level concept Mm -hmm. that at some point during the uh, development of 13, they said, nope, that's not going to work. We're going to cut this character, make a whole other game with him. And that became Final Fantasy 15. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the game. uh, Yeah. So there are a lot of weird things about this open world system. You can set up camp where you're constantly advertised to. Uh, You can, um, uh, you know, walk around and uh, in towns and basically they're, you know, they're they're the staples. But the thing about open world games is they live and die by the quest that you can do. 
Right. And while this game had a pretty compelling for most of the game main storyline, the side quest quests were practically non-existent. Or I'm talking yeah. about like going to your new hub town and you know somebody needs twelve chocobo asses, mm-hmm. or there are some mines <laughs> with some rats. I need twelve chocobo asses. No, yeah, same up. Got to breed that gold one. Um, or you know the the local mines where the people get their salt or whatever is mm-hmm. is now flooded with rats mm-hmm. or bats or rat bats or bat rats. <laughs> so. I think, a, I think they're called brats. Yeah, there's a lot of those. And then there are even big legendary side quests that oftentimes will literally be go where you fought this one boss, mm. battle your way down there, and then fight the boss again. Mm. But it's not labeled as that, and you don't really expect it when it happens. Yeah. But you're like, wait, this is where I fought that one boss. And then there's the boss again. Mm-hmm. But 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 later, yeah. and, and in the same spot. I don't know. It just it seems so shitty and lazy sometimes. And I'll never call a developer lazy or a designer lazy. I know they're not. I know they're very hard workers. But this cut and paste shit. We. I mean, for anyone watching Westworld right now, they literally keep doing shoutouts to cut and paste open world design mm. in there in Westworld. Mm. I mean, Jesus Christ, this is how ubiquitous of an issue this is. So seeing. A main entry, a numbered entry in the Final Fantasy series, fall prey to this just really, really hurt me in like a deep way because I never mm. expected it from them. And it, yeah, it, it it made me not want to finish the game. But did you? Okay. Yeah. That's rough. When did you play it? Just curious. I this, played this was... it for the... Did, did you play it when it first came out? Or did no, you play I played it, it on PC. Okay, so you... I played you, it when it came you, out you on PC. You played it post, like, 13.3 patch or whatever it yeah. was called, where they added in some extra stuff to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I played it I played it right when it came out on PC, back when, like, the, no video cards could handle the fur physics yeah. and stuff like that. And I, I, I have to be honest, and I'll be happy to talk to you about why I enjoyed the game and why I loved sure. it so much. But so, That is kind of the point of this conversation. But, yeah... So, so from my end, I see where you're coming from mm-hmm. and definitely the flaws were there. When I think about the flaws of Final Fantasy 13, actually the first thing that comes to my head is the fucking jarring final two chapters. Okay. Yeah. That just fucking happened so quick that you're just like, wait, what? Yeah. There's a pacing issue there. There's a pacing issue to it. And I've been told like, oh, well, you know, you should go back and play the expansions, the four expansions. Mm-hmm. And like, that really fills a lot in. I'm like, right. But I shouldn't need four pieces of DLC to feel like I got a complete story. Yeah. Because a 13 year time jump happened and that, that, that just fucking happened. Yeah. I had those DLCs. Yeah. They, they, they came with the game. Yeah. And I, they didn't come with my version of the game. I had to buy them separately and I just didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said. There's a lot to love about Final Fantasy 15. So much. The opening shot where they're, you know, stand by me's playing while they're pushing the car. The, the car itself. The car itself. The car is a fucking masterpiece. Like, and the fact that they let you customize it out the ass. Like, I honestly, I got the memes and the jokes when the game first came out. And they were just like, look at Sid with boobs and Daisy Dukes. And I was like, LOL, funny. Yeah. And then I was just like, but look at these four boys that just want to talk about how much they love each other around yeah. a campfire. And go to the beach and, and frolic beach in the sand. And hang out together. And fish. And just give each other shit. Yeah. It, it was like, not a, not a single one of them looked over at Sid and was just like... There was never an, an ill comment, yeah, right? Yeah, no one slapped there, her on the ass yeah, while she was just, fixing their car, you right. know? Everyone was just like, oh, hey, Sid, yeah, yeah please cool. help. I broke my very expensive car yeah. again. You probably dress like that because it's fucking hot outside. I totally yeah. get that. Yep. And, like, that was never a thing. That was fucking wholesome. Every time you wanted to camp. 
You did want you, to camp you to because camp. you got to spend time with your bros and you got to make the food. Yeah. And the food looked so fucking oh, cool. Yeah. Like Studio Ghibli level, that food looked good. Right. Like I, I get that video game cookbooks are a thing right now. Mm-hmm. And like you can get an Overwatch cookbook and a Halo cookbook. Where's my Final Fantasy 15 cookbook? For because real. I, I'm so surprised is... I can't have. I don't already own that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Square Enix fucking take my money. Um, yeah, there's so much. There was so many flaws to it. Um, I actually really do love the combat. Um, I did love the idea that, you know, it opens with the words, this is a Final Fantasy game for people who've never played a Final Fantasy game before. Mm -hmm. I got that feeling from it. It was just a, here it is, you know, pleased to enjoy this. I like the modern setting of a Final Fantasy game. Yeah, though the setting was impeccable. The, uh, I mean, it's like, like, like futurism but also a lot of the past you know small towns people you know a little bit afraid of the dark yeah um but you have this amazing luxury vehicle that you're traveling around in and it's not the only one yeah uh, people are driving around there open roads and highway Mm -hmm. and miles to chew up and a customizable soundtrack where you can buy albums when you're out on the road it gives you a good reason to go to all these little places Mm -hmm. and little people uh, you know in, in these towns and you so want them to be cool and a lot of their quests are very personal. It's not like just like 10 chocobo butts. Sometimes right. it is just like, can you help me find a book? Or yeah. a- and, and so that's the thing that I wanted to say in favor of it. Every hub had one interesting, unique quest line. Mm-hmm. And then there was the outskirts where people had an issue with something nearby that you could solve in five yeah. seconds. Right. And I guess I was so incredibly spoiled by The Witcher 3 that like very few open world experiences have ever come close storytelling wise and side quest wise. And there are one or two, but there aren't many but that just always made sense. And this one, they, I, I, I don't know. See, but, you see, on my side of the world, I'm one of those people that, that it's so hard to get me into an open world game. But when I was playing Final Fantasy 15, I never felt like I was playing an open world game. Oh, OK. I just for whatever reason, it did not feel like an open world game to me. I always felt like there was the next quest hub and I was always in a Final Fantasy way moving towards that see, thing. I felt the way you did right up until and this is like like the third zone you get into. They gave me off roading wheels for the car mm. because before that. I, when I got out of my car, I was on my own, Yeah, you know, and I was if I was going to wander out off the road, shit could get dangerous. Yeah. But as soon as I got those tires, it was like, well, I'll just drive over to those guys and kill them and then mm. get back in the car and leave. Yeah. And I don't know what it is. I, I don't know. The game was so great. I even watched a fucking um, animation that they put out before it because I love the setting. Yeah. Chad was just mentioning that they were saying like they, they hated the fact that you had to pre-lore before the game to enjoy it. Yeah, and that I actually, is very I actually, true. I actually never watched Kingsglaive. Uh, Kingsglaive so. was one of those um, uh, CG spectacle movies. Yeah. The, the, the pre-lore, um, I'll push back a little bit. I didn't think it was bad, but it was very weird because that movie, which is supposed to explain to you what's going on so that you get what's happening in the game, mm. didn't tell you shit. Yeah. It was beautiful and it was fun to look at a lot like Advent Children. But when you <laughs> Somebody explain the plot of Advent Children. I was please. gonna say, but when you watch Advent Children, no one's taking notes on the stories right. and twists going on because no one can understand what the fuck is happening. Because it's you can watch it in Japanese with subtitles, you're still not gonna get it. Nope. It's confusing in that too. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So in so so in a studio not really known for its lore, I actually really appreciated the story of the game. Yeah. But not enough to finish the game. I mm. got to a point. It was when I realized that I was never going to get to use a summon outside of a scripted battle. That was something that upset it from upset me because I was like, why? because they were so cool. They were so cool. Yeah. And like, why do we only 
ever get them once in a while. Yeah. And I even realized it was just scripted. Yeah. I just thought that it was a random. Yeah, no, it's just specific battles. It will happen. And others, it just never, ever will, no matter what happens in it. And yeah, there was a certain point where I just kind of fell off the game and I meant Mm. to go pick it back up. And now several years later, I realize I never will. Yeah. You know, I can't wait for the next one. Oh, 16. Oh, yeah. Which definitely took a lot from 15. Mm -hmm. Which I'm fine with because there were a lot of aspects to 15 that I liked. Uh, You mentioned the combat. I liked parts of the combat and I really disliked other parts of the combat. I felt like it needed, I don't know, it was at the same time overly complex systemically and then overly simplified mechanically as in like inputs and right. like yeah it was it was weird and i know that they're making big improvements on it they brought in the guy who developed combat for devil may cry so yeah. I mean, which is essentially yeah. what they were going for in the first place exactly so yeah i'm yeah. really into that but yeah a flawed game that i will still recommend to people um because honestly the story is really good yeah and the atmosphere above all the the, the vibe mm. of the game the whole vibe makes it's a me whole vibe. yeah if a game can make me want to do something um uh, th- then then i it, it i call it a win i call it yeah. a game that i can recommend pe- to people uh, its biggest yeah. strength is the thing that it opens with which mm-hmm. is the story of four friends yeah. its biggest flaw is what you honestly don't give a shit about, which is everything outside of those four friends. Exactly. Yeah. It made me want to go on a road trip with all my buddies and yeah. just like, like rent a badass car and drive down like the Pacific Northwest coast yeah. for like hours and hours and like stop in little towns mm-hmm. and like just chill. Eat cool food. And yeah. Do that. Eat cool food. And like, you know, in a legal state, we can like get a, get a fucking campground and smoke a bunch of weed. Yeah. Be great. great. Yeah. That's, so, that's the dream. Yeah. In the same way that like Death Stranding made me want to go hiking yeah you know like yeah give me a game that makes me want to do something and i'll not call your game bad no matter how much i dislike it because you 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 left me with something you put a thought in my head in the same way that people can watch movies they don't like but still agree with or vice versa pieces of comedy pieces of literature any game that leaves me with something is a success to me yeah, I agree. Mm. And we'll definitely talk about flawed but fun movies at some point. Too. Oh, yeah. So that'll be a blast. But that's everything that we have for the show this week. Um, if you have any flawed but fun games or games you love despite their flaws, please let us know. You can head over to goodnight.gg to become a patron of our show. You can go over to facebook.com slash gnggcast where you can chat with us as well as talk to me directly at gnggcast on Twitter. And until next time, for Hector, this is James. And for James, this is Hector. Everyone, good night. And good game.